ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's your boy, your pal, your buddy, your comrade, the nonprofit sector connector. I don't really know how much time I'm supposed to pause between sector and connector, but I feel it's very dramatic when I do that. So that's why I do it. Your boy, Tommy D, coming at you from the top of my house, the top of the building where I live. I was in the kitchen before. It takes me two flights to get up to where I operate from just below the roof in my attic. Like that has become a thing. Like I saw people, like I saw friends of mine yesterday and they're like, what are you doing out of the attic? Aren't you supposed to be in the attic? Like that was a joke that I started saying, like, I don't know, March of 2020 when I was um, sent, I'll say sent to the attic. I was like, go to the attic. Tommy D, go to the attic is what they all told me. The funny story behind that is before that happened in, in really February of 2020, people, my wife actually called me. Oh, by the way, this show is called Philanthropy and Focus. I'm Tommy D. But my wife had said to me, listen, we're moving things around your office. We're going to put your office up in the attic. And I had no idea how fortunate that was in February of 2020 because I've been operating now from the attic home base here for like two and a half years, which was, uh, as many of us remember, was supposed to be two weeks. Well, it wasn't supposed to be me in the attic for two weeks, but the whole world was only supposed to go on pause for a couple of weeks. And, you know, I think then it was Easter, but obviously the world has changed and evolved. 72. This is the 72nd episode of a thing that was just an idea that I walked around telling people about for a couple of years. Finally, January 8th of 2021 uh, is really when I started the show here, but I had done like a couple of versions of the show. I would call my friends who are executive directors and say, Hey, let's do this thing. Um, can you come on Zoom with me and let me interview you for Philanthropy and Focus? Because before the show existed, it had a name and it was spelled P-H-O-C-U-S because I like alliteration. I grew up in an era when we used to say fat and we didn't mean someone was obese. It meant other things like cool. And we used to spell it with a P-H. Katie, you remember that? Like, are you of my era to remember when we used to say fat all the time? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's our era. That's where we came from. So I, I had to kind of shout it out a little bit. Uh, so I put it in the name of the show. All right, look, you guys know by now, if you've been paying attention to the show or if this is your first ever episode of checking in with me, I'm passionate about this sector. I am incredibly passionate about nonprofits. Yesterday alone, I was in New York City with uh, NYN Media, with uh, OpCon, and I sat through eight hours of sessions learning about operations and finance and security and cybersecurity. Tommy D, you, you own an insurance agency and you sell employee benefits. And why is that important? Well, it's important because I'm a board member for a number of organizations. I see myself as a consultant for the nonprofit sector. And I gave myself a title called the nonprofit sector connector. So you kind of have to know what's going on in the world where you want to live. Quick shout out to my friend, Dara Rosenbaum, who made this introduction happen. I don't meet Katie and the team from Found Village. I'm going to get Katie in the conversation. I'm trying to get all the stuff that's in my head, or at least the, the appropriate stuff out of my head really quick so we can get in and get Katie into this conversation. But Dara made this connection. She heeded the call. I asked my friends, the people I'm connected to, if you are connected to a nonprofit that you would like me to feature on the show and help them do two things, help them tell their story and amplify their message. Do me a favor, hook me up, make that connection, bring those people into my world, bring me into their world, and we'll do this. I expect that I get to do this show for another 50 years. If I only do it once a week, it's like 2,500 episodes or something like that. If 
when I get to my real goal, I want to do this show every day of the week, Monday through Friday, because there's so many nonprofits to highlight and so many great stories to tell. So, Katie, before I read your bio and some background and an introduction, I would just like to say good morning. Welcome to the show and welcome to my attic. How are you? Thank you, Tommy. I am doing well today. Coming from Cincinnati, Ohio, and it is sunny outside. It's nice here in New York, too. So it's sunny and Cincy. Cincy. I like that. It's sunny and Cincy. I've been to Columbus, but I I have not been to Cincinnati. And, um, you know, my my one one of my boys, I have two boys and two girls, and my older son is big into baseball. We're big Met fans. Mm. So I I think, you know, it makes sense to see all these cities and, you know, certainly to get out and see the Reds and and things like that. I mean, tell me a little bit about Cincinnati before we jump in. Oh, man. So I actually live, I actually live in Kentucky. So we kind of, I say Cincinnati is my home because we have like the Mm tri-state. And I think that's what I love about it is that, you know, I get all the benefits of Kentucky and I get Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, And we just can cross borders and get to other states and feel like we have the larger community. Um, I just love that. I think I love the city so much because, um, you know, we have just so it's a family town. It's great for my kids. There's so much to do here. Um, there's just, you know, just great restaurants, great people, um, just great community, a long, a long history in Cincinnati of just really generosity. I'm not from here. I'm from West Virginia. Um, and I've just been so surprised just the welcoming of people into the community and then just the generous spirit that Cincinnati has particularly around philanthropy and just elevating others around them. Yeah. I didn't know that. So generosity and philanthropy, things that Cincinnati's known for that. I didn't, that I did not know. It's funny where I live. So I live on long Island, which is part of New York. Although some people say it's going to be the 51st state. I don't know. I I don't really think I have time to to advocate on behalf of that. I got a lot of other things I'm doing, but we're right near Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. So I get, you know, where you can be in and out of states like that pretty, pretty quickly. And I think that's cool. You know, I think that's, there's so much of this country that personally I haven't seen and that I want to see. And I apologize. I got the, uh, I'm fighting the allergies, but there's so much of that out there and so much connection to make. So I think that's special. So thank you for bringing part of the uh, other parts of the country into uh, into my attic. I appreciate it. <laughs> so what I want to do as we do always on the show, and you and I have talked about this, is I want to hear your story. I always feel that the executive leaders of nonprofits who I get to meet with there's something that drew them to the nonprofit work. There's something that drew them to this work. There's it, whether it's, you know, something that happened in their lives or their parents were very influential or some folks were, you know, exposed to service work at the college level. There's always, I feel something there. And it could be as simple as all oh, my parents were very involved and they always gave back at the church or they did this drive or that drive. It's, it's always, I think, the best place to start the story. And then we'll go into like we do every week here on the show, talk about the organization. The name of the organization is Found Village. Katie, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look how I wrote it, Enzuku, right? Enzeku, close. Enzeku. I was close, too, and I practiced. So I actually looked at my notes, and I didn't write Enzeku. So I want to say Katie's name correctly. Katie Enzeku, who is one of the founders of Found Village, Um I'm going to read a little bit about Katie's background, and then we're going to dive right in. Master's, MSW, Master of Social Work from the University of Cincinnati. Before that, a bachelor's degree uh, in psychology from Marshall University, licensed clinical social worker in the state of Ohio. And 
her experience and her her knowledge of Found Village, my notes here say, was informed by her own growing up and and some of the some of what she saw from some service providers, although well intentioned, were not really bringing the love and the belonging and the safety that is really required for these young people. You experienced some of that firsthand. And that's what the organization, this is what I'm reading this right off of the organization's website. We believe that every young person has what they need inside of them to thrive. That, and that our role is to provide the right foundation, support, information, and opportunity so they can meet their potential. So second episode ever of Philanthropy and Focus, my friend, Dr. Larry Grubler, who runs Transitional Services for New York, which is a mental health agency that serves 4,000 New York City individuals each year, told me, you know, Tommy, we all need, and I've said this, a, if not a thousand times, but I've probably said this 60 times on the show already. We all need support at some times. Sometimes, Katie, right, it's a different level of support. Sometimes it's more support. Sometimes it's uh, just, you know, even yesterday being at this this uh, OpCon, there was a lot of organizations that were there and that were on these panels speaking about the foster care system and, and organizations that are taking care of these children. So support is critical. Katie, I want to be quiet. I want to be the listener. Take it away. Tell me your please. <laughs> Thanks, Tommy. Hi, everyone. It's so great to, to be here today and just to share a little bit about my story and how my story has really evolved into the work of Found Village. Um, so I think, where do I start? Let me just share. I, why I live in Northern Kentucky, Fort Thomas, Kentucky. I work, go to church, do a lot of life in Cincinnati, Ohio. So like, I feel like both of those places are home, but I'm from Huntington, West Virginia, which is actually only about two and a half hours from Cincinnati. So it's a lot- I gotta be honest, different. I gotta look at a map. I'm gonna pull a yeah. map up so yeah. I can see where all this is. Cause I'm, I'm a little- yeah. it's close. we're idea. all really connected. Um, <laughs> So yes, yeah, so I grew up in Huntington, West Virginia. That's where my family is from. My dad um, runs a small business, a family-owned business that he's been running for generations. And my mother is a nurse. So definitely come from a line of entrepreneurs and nurses and educators. And I've got two siblings. I am the oldest child. And I'll just kind of start with my story. And, you know, I have great loving parents um, and the privilege of a middle-class family in West Virginia. I did get to grow up in an amazing community where we had a lot of diversity. So, you know, we all, there was one high school, there was one elementary school. So I got to be around people with different classes, different races, you know, which really I think just kind of shaped, um, you know, my view and my culture competency and my friendships of people just that, that, that had multiple differences than me. And so, you know, I'll just fast forward um, and I, I can actually tell my story now with a lot more perspective than I could have told my story then. So just note as I tell my story, these, most of these things are things that I did not understand about myself or my story, but now I can reflect and just really understand, you know, my parents, you know, and their circumstances coupled with who I am and who I was as a young child and how I ended up in the journey um, that has led me to Found Village. So I just like to kind of caveat yeah. that, that this is a perspective sharing and, you know, and I'll just start with, you know, when I have always been a strong-willed person and a strong-willed child, um, I had parents that were really, really busy. They went through the loss of family members, the loss of parents, just a lot of really hard things when me and my brother were younger. And I, I realized the level of trying to maintain their lifestyle and their work that just led to me not getting my needs met in a sense of connection and being seen and heard within my family. Um, 
And, you know, my mom, me and my mom always talk about the reality that, you know, she was the first generation of working mom, right? Her mom didn't work. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have anybody to talk to or figure out how to do this. I was working full time. So was your dad. That was the thing like in that generation, like both my parents worked growing when we were growing up. I mean, I I remember my mom had probably a couple different gigs going on, you know, and it was like, that was the, the, very interesting because from a societal perspective, I don't think we talk about that enough, but that was the thing where in this country, at least you needed two incomes or more than two. And that was like, you know, you know, before that, I remember, you know, the, just this was the way it was. So it's not, this is not me being judgmental or sexist, but the dad would, you know, get the lunch pail and go to work and do the job. Right. And mom would do the the stuff at home and, and that worked out, but financially that just didn't work anymore. Right. And my mom always said like, what were women thinking with the women's right movement? We should have got like paid (laughs) to still do the mothering duties. Right. And there was nobody to talk to about how to do it well. Right. So I think a lot of generation, that generation was struggled. How do we care and child rear for our kids? And how do we also work outside the home? Yeah. And, you know, and I think as a result, um, you know, we, we have a really interesting generation, right? No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I re- like, I remember the days, like, like summer was kind of, and, and looking back, I mean, I remember being now I'm 44, so I'm going back 30 years, literally. Cause I remember being 14, you know, my sister is seven years younger than me and my brother about four or just under four. But I remember like those kind of times that we, we were sort of on our own a, a bit. My mom would leave. She didn't work far from the home. But she would, she had to go. And we sort of did what we did, which um, was all good. But it was, you know, it was different, I think, than, you know, this was coming up for me. Like, remember uh, Beaver Cleaver? Remember, like, <laughs> leaving to Beaver? Like, you know. Oh, award and this kind of stuff. I actually got a friend of mine who, when he said to me, he goes, Tommy D, the first time I ever met you, I thought you were like Eddie Haskell. I don't know if you remember that Eddie Haskell character, but Eddie Haskell is like this sweet guy. And it was like, always like, yes, Mrs. Cleaver, no Mrs. Cleaver. But behind the back, he was getting like Wally and the Beeve, like involved in some like in the shenanigans and the mischief and stuff like that. But, but I just remember like, you know, both my parents had to go do the thing. Yeah. They had to go work. And, and Katie, I don't know about you, but it wasn't like, we weren't wealthy because they went to work like that. It was like, that was sort of like to get by. Right. Yeah. 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 And and I think it's just, so it's great because I used to have this perspective, like there's no, there's no good and bad. Like we all just show up doing our best. Right. And so I like to talk about my family in that context of like, I have great family. They're great people. And they were showing up doing their best. And yet I still had a lot of struggles within that family contract. So we're going to hear about that. So that's a yeah. perfect thing. That's what I call it cliffhanger. So there was, we set everybody up. Now they're stuck with us, even though we're going to a break, they got to come back because they want to hear the rest of the story. Yeah. Katie is here from found village. Your boy, Tommy D is here, obviously, because you know, it's my show. We'll be right back. Let's go to a break. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. That's what I'd ask you to do. Push that static out of the way. Cut through the static. Join me in the attic. I'm up here, man. Took me two flights of stairs to get up here, so I'm up here. All right, so look, this is Philanthropy Focus every week. Two things, tell stories, amplify message. Katie, president, co-founder of found village which had another name in the past too katie right but we're not we're not even there to that part of the story we're talking about you know you had a a good family great family who looked out for you but they had to go do the thing they had to go work so sometimes there was this loss in connection right that's where we sort of left off yeah take it away so there was this so yeah so just talking about just the the reality of two working homes and you know middle class families and you know, and I think honestly, like also a breakdown within the village, right? Like the community around you. When I think about that, like, you know, we had some neighborhoods, but not like I hear my parents tell stories about how their neighbors were their families, right? So I also think there was also a breakdown when you have both parents that go, you know, into the workforce with the reality of your neighborhoods and your communities, you know, being that village. Um, and so just kind of drawing the context, you know, around those pieces for me. And, you know, and I think, what happened was I ended up trying to find my sense of belonging outside of my household, right? And there's some normalcy around that being a teenager, you know, and for me as well, I was always really strong-willed, kind of stubborn and not an easy kid. (laughs) And so, you know, kind of got labeled as bad, right? Walking around thinking like, what's wrong with you, right? Uh You're always defiant. You always want to do things your way. Why don't you just (laughs) listen, right? Like my grandmothers would argue about who was going to keep me for a long weekend, right? Like always. Not because they wanted you. (laughs) (laughs) I remember, you know, my, my aunt, God bless her. I was just out in Oklahoma last two weeks with her. I hadn't been since I was 14. And I realized I used to, my mom used to fly me out there by myself at like 12, 13 years I old. Used to be, see, that used to be a thing. I remember yeah. that. My, my cousin Vinny, yeah. yes, like the movie. My cousin Vinny, <laughs> I remember he would go visit. In fact, we have family out in Columbus and he would go out to Ohio. But this was like, my aunt and uncle happened to move around the country. Like uh, he, yeah. he's a business guy. So he was like in like Wichita and then he was in Columbus and he was like around the country. So my cousin would like, I remember my aunt and uncle, they put him on a plane and like, 
Just a kid, like 10, 11 years old. I remember coloring in a room by myself with strangers. Like, that's one of my memories. And as I'm out in Oklahoma, you know, for the first time as an adult, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, as we were talking, I remember we were driving by all the houses my aunt had lived in. And the period I was out there, my aunt was separated from my uncle at the time. And they had four children. I was like, God, I must have been really bad that you would send me to my aunt who was going through a separation. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get their stuff together and they're like ah send another kid out there they, they can't go out there get on out there so just kind of laughing just like the perspective sharing of like you know just the times that we were in during that so so I would say you know just thinking about the labels and I would just say the lies around like who I was that were just kind of spoken over me and how they just like rooted those belief systems and and I also think because of that like I found inclusion and acceptance and places and with people that um, other people would question. I always had lots of colorful friends, right? Yeah. So like the kids who were getting in trouble, like that's where I felt. But it's almost like, so, sorry to like cut you off for a second, but it's yeah. almost as if, and I think this is where you're going, that it, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm-hmm. right? If she's a bad kid, right? And they're telling you this as a very impressionable youth, well, then I got to go hang out with the other bad kids, right? Like, is that almost like what it was like? I mean, kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't think it was subconscious, but I think it was, it was, it was almost of, you know, when people speak things over you or about you, yeah. you know, it's it's hard to not reflect until you have a deep sense of self-identity to not believe that about yourself. So you're looking for other places of acceptance. And mm. for me, the places of acceptance were with kids who also had labels because they didn't judge me. I didn't feel judged right. in those spaces with those people. That was the place I felt I could be free, be myself you know, and not be judged, I guess, is the, probably the best way to share that. Yeah, wow. wow. And so thank you for sharing it. By the way, I want to acknowledge the sharing because this is, this is, this is critically important. And I'm, I'm sure and we'll get into it, but I'm sure that your openness and candor and vulnerability is what also connects you to, to these people that your organization serves, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the thing that I've learned is like, we're all so similar. And I can't, I have to be able to see myself and my story to be able to see like the humanness and the similarities at the core of who we are in other people's story. Because the difference is, is like at our core, we need very similar things, right? Like, and so if we believe that it's not what's wrong with people, it's what's happened to people. And where is the unmet needs that's leading to these behaviors that are trying to get needs met? It just changes the way that you look at you know, people and challenges and problems. Um, and so, you know, it took me a long time to, to give myself that grace and see myself in that way. And, you know, and as I've been able to, I'm able to now reflect that back to the people that I work with. And even, you know, as I think about my parents, you know, for a long time, I was angry at my parents because I'll fast forward a little bit and just share with you, you know, that, you know, picking friends that no one approved of and hanging out and, you know, say, I would, I would stay gone at 14 years old for nights. Yeah, I remember, I remember skipping school alone and drinking vodka and orange juice at like 13 years old, eating Eggos. Like it was normal. <laughs> you know, I just look back like, wow, you were really searching for something and some numbing and things like that. Yeah, it happened. Yeah. And I see now my grandma always drank vodka and orange juice. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I was trying to emulate what I saw with her on one random school day morning. Um, but searching is so I want to touch on a couple of things you said, yeah. you know, it, it's not what's wrong with people. It's what happened to people. And you want to see that in, in people. And I, yeah. you know, a, a couple of things. Um, 
there's this quote uh, that I, I like to use a lot from Robin Williams, and and it's I say it a lot, so let me just get it. It's um, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about, so be kind always. And I think that's so like for me, I try to remind myself of that like all the time because we don't know. We don't know somebody else's world. We don't know their deal. We don't know what happened. And to your point there, even with the the, the screwdrivers and, and egg a waffle deal. And again, look, I, I, I'm 44 years old now. Um, September will be 12 years. I haven't had a drink, but I will tell you from, and, and I hold some of this back because I do have children that might listen to the show one day, but it's probably a good information anyway. From the time I was 14, 15, you know, drinking on the streets to the time I was 32 when I quit drinking, that was like a lifetime of drinking. And you use the word searching. Yes, I was searching. You use the word numbing. You know, you said that. I think that's some of, we're just, we want the connection. Isn't that where a lot of this comes from? We want some level of connection. We want that either a physical hug or just to know that we have that support. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, I love Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I think a lot of people actually have the research wrong because they look at it like it's a graph and it's actually more like a sailboat, Hmm. you know, and the reality that you don't make it there, right? Like you start with your safety needs, you know, you move on to like your belonging, your connection needs, and then you move on to your self-esteem needs. That's the bottom of the boat. That has to be full to then be able to move up to relationships and exploration and thriving. And our whole life is a constant battle of like keeping the bottom of our boat afloat (laughs) so that we can meet our higher level needs. Right. And so when I can look back now and like realize this really fantastic research, just about humanness and the need that we all have to be safe at the core, to even be able to experience a level of fulfillment, we have to have safety. We have to have connection. We have to have self-esteem and we're looking for those things. So if we don't find them in our homes or within our communities, you know, we, we're going to find them. We have to have them to be filled, to be full. There's nothing wrong with us for searching for them and finding them. Right. It just happens to be sometimes we find them in the wrong places or with the wrong things. Well, and we see that a lot, right? When we talk about this word, whatever it means, inner city, but let, you know, oftentimes in, in communities of color or, or not, you know, when, yeah. when somebody's searching, they end up joining a, a gang or like, you know, as you said, you know, the, it, not to put words in your mouth, the the bad kids, whatever that bad kid thing means. Right. But you're searching for the people who will take you in and give you that community. And, and it's what we need. So it's a human thing. You said, you you said humanness. I mean, this is like basic, basic stuff. Like if I'm not going to get it over here, I got to go get it over there. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, and I think the more I evolve and understand, it's like, that's in our teenage, that's what we're doing as teenagers, but it's also what we're doing as adults. You know, if we're not getting those needs met, we're sometimes using them to get too many met in work or through a relationship, right? And like causing those challenges, right? Like, because we have to get those met. And so, you know, and I think just thinking back to like the place of, you know, me trying to get my needs met in unhealthy spaces and just making risky decisions. My parents tried to get help in lots of different traditional types of services. So I had lots of therapists. I had lots of assessments, tried to put me on medication, (laughs) lots of trips. Yep, and yep. things like that. And, you know, and um, nothing helped me, nothing fixed me. Right. And that mm-hmm. was the problem. Like I wasn't broken. I didn't need fixed. Right. Right. <laughs> so that's why a lot of those things failed. Um, yeah. So, so where did this get really challenging for you? It got bad. 
Like, well, yeah. So it, what ended up happening because a lot of these traditional systems and services were not working and fixing me, um, that my parents thought I needed to go away to a detention center and be punished because wow. of my bad choices. And the bill for that detention center was over fifty thousand dollars. Wow! And so they actually couldn't afford that, and so they made the decision to actually put me in foster care in custody of the state, so that the state would pay for that service. Right, because then you're in the system now, so it's no, it's not. They don't have to pay that fee. They don't have to pay that. Wow! Fee. What a decision so, that how what they had to do that to to to, yeah. to put their to give up their child like that. You know. Yeah, and so that happened when I was fifteen, and so I spent my whole year from 15 to 16 in a detention center um, in West Virginia. Oh my God. Oh my. Oh, wow. All right. Well, certainly um, there's, there's other organizations that I talk to who have a connection to this type of work that you're talking about. I I have so many ideas. I can't, I, we need to go to commercial break, but I'm sitting here going, how do I connect Katie to this one or that one? And because I think there's so much synergy, but we will get into that. But Wow. All right. When we come back, let's continue this story about your personal journey and take that into, you know, how, you you know, you use the word village and I know that village was the original name of found village. Right. And so there's going to be, there's so much story there. Let's take a quick break, Katie. When we come back, let's just keep doing this. This is going great. Thank you so much. Howdy. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. It's your boy. Your buddy, your pal, the nonprofit sector connector. All right, checking in from my attic, Robert Rosner and Mick Collins, both of my buddies fighting for Tommy D, Philanthropy and Focus, biggest fan. So, guys, duke it out. I appreciate it. Robert is texting me because Robert can't watch this on Facebook because I don't think he knows how to use Facebook. 
And Mick Collins, I know, is on the Facebook checking in. So, Mick, thank you. So, I said hello to you both. Robert says, 72, look forward to the next 720. Well, look, I'm going to do this forever, Robert. So, I think what you got to do is eat healthy, have a smoothie now and again, so you can stay around long enough to, to plug into the show. And I promise we'll have your grandkids talk to you about the Facebook and how to use it and, and how to get on Facebook so you can see what I'm doing, not just listen to what I'm doing. Katie, I, wow. We left them another cliffhanger. This is like, we might have to do this show for like three hours instead of just one hour. But 15, 16 years old, your parents, they, they feel that you need to go to a detention center to straighten out, to stop being a bad girl, I guess, right? Like this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Tell us this story, please. Yeah, so, you know, I didn't think it was really going to happen. I remember, I remember going into the court and sitting in front of the judge and him being like, your parents have turned over their rights. They signed an incorrigibility petition against you. They've got your bags packed. You'll be leaving today. And so I went in a transport that day, left the courtroom and went to this detention center. And I'll just say, well, I mean, we could have a whole episode and I could tell you about this place, but I'll just say this. It was one of the most unhealthy environments I'd ever been in. I mean, I gained 20 pounds. I ate like crap. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was around girls and people who had just experienced like such terrible things. Really, in their lives. real and stuff, really, like really like, like tragic. Yeah. Real tragic things within, you know, within their family context, you know, harmed by their family members, by their community. Yeah. And yeah. here they are alongside of me being punished <laughs> For the choices of their, for right. being raped by their family members, and no oh, one in their, God. and no one in their village willing to t- able. So they end up these serious. these girls have that tragic situation, like yeah. you just said, and then they end up in a punishment center. Yes. Uh, where's the Where's the logic? And we're like you and I can't get into solving that problem, but yeah. like that's how this this is our society. There is structural stuff. You and I know that. Yeah. If anybody's listening and and wants to have a battle about that, there are structural <laughs> things done in certain communities. I probably can't even have that battle with you because I can't waste my time. If you're not getting what's going, what's gone on in this country, Katie, so t- you well, were there. I think the same things happen. So what ends up happening then, you know, you have these terrible things that happen to you. You know, luckily I did not, right? Like I, you right. Know, I shared with you my, you know, kind of my origin story, but you know, these girls have these terrible things that have that, this harm done by the people that are supposed to care for them. And then they end up acting out in some ways of not following the script of seeing right. the therapists are doing the things. And so they then get in juvenile court, they get in trouble yeah. and then they get put in this detention center. Right. So I was able to see for the first time, just who these girls were and understand their stories mm. and just the reality of the setting. It was supposed to be a treatment center, right? Mm-hmm. It, like a detention center slash treatment center. So we had to do treatment groups and see therapists and, but you can't heal in an environment that is set up um, in a way that something is wrong with you. And like, we're here to fix you. So the and, approach, the approach is wrong, especially when you're talking about these young women who yeah. didn't do anything wrong. Something right. was done to them and, and based on their reaction or whatever, they end up in this setting. They end up in the setting. And then you have to earn your way out. So I was only supposed to be there for three months. They said, you have to follow this program if you get out. But the problem is the program is it's based on the expectations of the staff members. It's not about, do I feel like I'm getting healthy? Am I getting better? I'm not the customer here. You know, it's this ambiguity. It's this really, you know, unclear expectation about what you have to do to work your way out of there. You have to follow the program. So finally, by like month nine, I'm like, I got to get out of here. 
I wasn't any healthier. I hated my parents at this point. Yeah, of course, of course, they they did this to you, right? So, so yeah, you know, like I I lost all of my friendships in my community. So as a teenager, to like lose your community ties, I mean, I was in a bad place, but I was smart enough to say like I cannot go through my summer here. I was turning 16. My birthday was June 1st. Like I'm going to be out of here by my birthday. And so I did, I worked the program for three months and I got myself out of there. And when I got in front of the judge at my release to see if I was really going to be able to be released, if my parents were going to take custody back of me at that point, we had to go back in front of the judge. And the judge said to me, you know, I've got a really unique opportunity for you. He said, you know, you've completed the program. Um, I've actually met and talked to your parents. You have two choices. Your grandmother has stepped up and offered to pay for you to go to a boarding school in Baltimore, Maryland. You would leave in August. Or if you choose to stay here in West Virginia, you'll be on probation for a year. And if you break any of the recommendations, you will go to a higher restriction. Oh, my God. So you're going to Baltimore, obviously, right? I'm going to Baltimore. (laughs) So I was smart enough then to know. Yeah that like I've not changed I hate my family at this point in time I'm so angry and bitter towards them it would have been real fast for you I would have been been perpetually in the system at that point had I not had a grandmother who had wealth who cared about me who came in and here's the kicker this boarding school was incredible the right environment people built into me I got to be around you know girls with privilege that whose families these girls had some of the same things that happened to them. <laughs> These girls had actually worse behavior than the girls that I was in detention centers with, but yet were given the privilege of a better environment to bring out the best of them. And guess what? Like we began to flourish there. Now, of course, I still got myself in trouble and <laughs> had challenges there, but I loved school. I had confidence. I got to play sports and find a sense of belonging. Like so many good things and roots got planted for me. And Tommy, here's the kicker. That boarding school cost $20,000 less than that detention center. (laughs) Talk about a little structural stuff, gang. I mean, how about that? But, uh, you know, like, there's so many things you're saying that are so critically important. I want to just pull little pieces out. They they poured into you. Yes. They gave you, you know, you were treated, you know, differently than where you were the problem. And I don't just mean Katie as an individual, but the young girls that were in this detention center, right? They're problem children versus no, they're not. They're children. Right. And I want to go back to what you said earlier. Um, Look at me looking for my notes. Like I'm in a business meeting, but this piece about, you know, it's not what's wrong with you, the person, it's what happened to you. So structural racism, societal situations, all of this stuff, which again, these are n- not, you know, not that what we have to go into today, but it's critically important to be aware of these types of things because this is what goes on. So your life, what a story though, you know, honestly, I mean, when you think about it and I'm not going to be like, oh, you should write a book, but you probably yeah. should, but like, but like, you know, the, the dichotomy of this young girl ends up in detention center and then the bougie boarding school, right? Like that, like that yeah. from 15 to 17, what's your world completely different, right? Yep. <sighs> totally. And I think the thing, I think the interesting part of that is I always say like, I am the girl in the detention center. Am I in the, I, and, and I'm the girl in the boarding school, right? Yeah. Like those two extremes are kind of wrapped up in you know, kind of in my identity of like, I'm comfortable with all people and all That's places, awesome. thankfully for those experiences that I, because what I realized was at the core, we're, they're the same, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. one group just had more privilege yeah. 
right? And more opportunity than the other group. That was the only difference, right? But they have the same core fundamental needs as humans, right? Yeah. I I get, I'm only, I'm concerned because I want to make sure we hit on some of the programming and, you know, I want to just hear your story, but I know we got to, we got to sell found village. But there was one comment I want to make before we do that. I think it's this whole that Katie can I don't want to say it this way, but play in both worlds, right? And be in both worlds and have been in both worlds. I think that's critically important because I'm sure community-wise, you got to speak to some major donors and some corporate types and some suits and whatnot. And that's probably very good from a, from a, a fundraising perspective. Yeah. And obviously being able to serve the participants in, in the organization and who you serve, having that background as well. So not to just encapsulate it, but unfortunately we got limited yeah. time. So I want to just say that and put that out there. I want to know what it looks like from somebody who finds found village. And if you want to tell yeah. me that the founding of found village, I'm using all these words, found village. <laughs> founding, t- t- let's talk about that really. If we can start to. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I think I'm, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit and just share, you know, from that experience, um, I ended up moving back my senior year and graduating from high school. Um, and then just someone said, I think you'd be really good working with young people. Mm-hmm. who have hard times. I ended up at a group home in West Virginia wow. and working in the group home. And it but was- You're a kid like, now. You're not even in college yet. You're talking- right I know. I was in college at this okay. point. So I graduated high school, actually went away for two years and then came back to my home school. And that's when I got the job at the group home. And it was just this beautiful depiction of care and concern yeah. at this place. It was a family-owned group home. And that was really where I would say I actually saw what work could look like because you had these girls who were in foster care and this family owned business and they cared for the girls. I was allowed to bring them into my life. Mm. So like we'd go to church together, we'd work out, we'd shop together. Like I rarely had any challenges and like they were flourishing in that place. It was just very different. So that was my first like experience around the possibilities of like how we need, how we can show up for young people in hard times and normalize experiences and just be in relationship with them as human beings, right? And so fast forward, my husband got a job in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so that's what moved us here. Mm -hmm. And so I got a job at a really large nonprofit here. um, And I thought I was going to find that. And I did not find that. (laughs) Um, I was so disturbed for like the first year of my work. I remember crying driving into work because my heart was so broken. You just didn't see that. It it just wasn't making the impact. It just wasn't there. It wasn't making the impact. It was just like we were failing the kids. It was just like this constant crisis environment of these kids who were in such pain. And there was just such little ability to help support and solve for them. And we were doing what was done to me, right? We were labeling them as bad. We were restricting them. We were taking their privileges, right? Like as a program and institution. So I went on a mission, you know, after... I mourned the reality to say, I don't know how to fix this. I have no clue how to make this better. I need to figure it out. So I went back and got my master's. I enrolled in school the following year, went back to get my master's in social work. Um, and then just started growing within the organization and learning. So you stayed, you, you ended up staying. I stayed. I ended yeah. up staying and you there. said, you know what, look, it's better with me being here maybe because I can make the impact. Cause if I walk away, these kids yeah. are still, they don't, they don't have anything. Right. That's, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. what I thought about. So how do I equip myself to be a change within this environment that I'm part of? How do I abuse my influence? How do I do a favor? How do I show people a different way to get the work done? I actually stayed there for 10 years. That's all. See, but I, I, I like what change 
you made there, and I don't know this because this is the first I'm hearing of it, but the 10 years of impact and change that was because you were that catalyst, that champion, that change maker internally. Yeah. Guys, gals, everybody listening, there's something to be taken away from a lot, from everything Katie's saying, but specifically from this point, take away that the environment you're in, maybe you're the leader. Maybe you're the one that's supposed to step forward and fix it and make the change, you know, because if you go, those children will, in, in this example, children, but it could be individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. It could be homeless folks. If you're supposed to be the leader and supposed to be the change maker, stick around, do the stuff, get equipped. I love how you use that word too. get equipped. You might not have all those abilities now, but go freaking get them. Keep growing, keep evolving and make that impact. We are going to take another break, Katie, but when we come back, um, let's let's go from there because obviously you do leave and yeah, you do go out and create this. I'm, I'm going to jump right on in until what so, happened in year 10. All right. I will. When we come back, I'll go and begin and then you start. All right. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers... Avengers Assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. For me in the attic, we are back. Katie, I said it right yes. before the break. Just keep going. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So year 10 at this organization, I had just had my last two kids back to back and I was feeling this empty hole. Like we have done everything we can do within this organization to serve these kids well. And I was really depressed because I was seeing kids that I knew as kindergartners coming back at high, as high schoolers who had cycled through all these systems and services that we thought we sent off well and were coming back. But they're back. Off back off and worse than they had been before. We had kids that were committing crimes that were best students doing well within our environments. Kids, several kids that had gotten murdered within my period of time. I mean, just like I started to see the reality that even within this great organization that a program cannot change people's lives and transform their lives. And I started to feel this deep sense of dissatisfaction. What was missing? What did you get? 
Yeah. So I, I didn't know. And I'll tell you, I, I didn't know. And I landed in a meeting with a young man um, who was in foster care and he was 15 years old. He was separated from all of his siblings. He had eight siblings. His mother was a domestic violence survivor um, and at the age of three and in and out of foster care, multiple different homes and just a really angry kid because of all the things and the separation that had happened. And he's sitting in a, in a room, we're bringing him back from a suspension because he had got angry and tore up a classroom. And he threw something that hit one of our assistant principals in the eye. And so we knew that if we didn't figure out a way to help keep this young man in school, that he was gonna lose his group home placement and go back to a detention center. He had been in three detention centers already at 15 years old. So we have about, just imagine 10 people around this conference room table, all there trying to help him figure out what can we do to make sure that you can be successful in school. And I remember sitting in that room and looking at him across the table as everybody is talking and his head is just hanging low and i looked at him directly and i said hey look at me and he looked up at me and i said what do you need to be healthy look at all of us here we're here for you help us help you and he said to me miss katie i have no idea and he dropped his head and in that moment god literally whispered to me hey katie what do you need to be healthy (laughs) And I sat down and I wrote all of these foundational things, things like, I should probably leave my job. I am not feeling fulfillment or a hope for the future. I should probably eat. It's two o'clock and I haven't had lunch yet. You know, I should be working out and seeing my friends again and like having community. Like I'm so isolated since having my kids, right? Like I just started going down this list of these basic things. And the very next day, I went around, I had 10 kids in foster care, all in my high school school, in the high school school program. And I pulled them from their classroom and I asked them all the same question. Tell me about your friendships. Tell me about what you do for fun. Tell me about your hope for your future. Tell me about your people. And across the board, they all made comments such as, Miss Katie, I don't have friends. I'm in a behavior school. The kids here are bad. Um, food, the food here makes my stomach hurts. I had flaming hots for breakfast. Sleep. I live in a group home. My stuff gets stolen. My things get messed with. I don't sleep well. Um, Extracurricular activities, fun things. Like I've been in foster care and group homes and behavior schools my whole life. I've never been on a sports team. Family, community, like I'm in foster care. Hope for the future, like totally blank faces. And I sat on this leadership team between our child welfare system and juvenile court and our legal aid and our local um, public school system. And I brought back this research, this really fancy research coupled with coupled with the in-school suspension data of yeah. these are my these are frequent flyers well when and you I, see this fancy research you mean your spiral notebook and the questions yeah. you ask these kids that was okay. fancy research. Yeah. <laughs> the right, best cool. research i've ever done is probably was fancy. probably was right probably yeah. Was, yeah. 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 yeah i took this fancy research back and said to them you know look why are we talking about behavior plans and medication and more services these kids don't have these foundational things that they need So why don't you give me a little bit of money and let me figure out how to fill these gaps, give them development in three quadrants, mind, body, spirit. Let me, let me build community with them. Let me help them have healthy outlets, physical fitness, good food, right? Um, Help me dream. Let me help them dream, think about the future, think about their lives and just have a connective relationship of someone who cares about them outside of just the school day and connecting their environment. And they said, yes. And I started a pilot program. It ran like an after-school program because I was in as like a school-like setting. 
And so two days a week, we did life with these kids. We learned how to do healthy habits. We changed the food up at the school so they would eat. We gave them headphones so they would sleep at night. We took jogs to the local gym where the, all the trainers became the mentors wow. and they trained them in you know, different MMA styles and boxing and just built community. We had dinners. So, but that don't build community, wellness, right? They're, they're exercising yeah. now, right? The discipline that goes with the mixed martial arts and all that is critical, right? All, all of those things, Tommy. And so I saw more transformation in four months than I had seen in 10 years out of any kid oh. for all 10 of the boys. Whatever the core issue was that they were dealing with, suspensions, hospitalizations, you know, whatever the issue was, we saw a dramatic de decrease in that. And then just the life that came alive in them, right? The, the fillness, the happiness, the connection to friendships and belonging. And so... Fast forward to the end of the pilot, these incredible results. Three kids transitioned to regular school for the first time in their lives. And my organization was like, oh, this is great, your little pet project. You can do this on the side, but you still have to do your big job. And so my husband being who he is, then it's time. You can yeah. quit your job, let's do this. Well, you've just done proof of concept, right? That's what they would say exactly. like in the business world, some tech guys would say that's proof of concept, right? It worked out. So now go do the thing and I love okay. it. So. So Iloba says, your husband says, let's go. Let's go. So we did. So we I quit my job that June and with nothing, everybody was upset with me. <laughs> like, why'd you take this program away? Who are you? I was connected to this large organization that had right. all these resources, right? Like that was my credibility was standing on. But the they wouldn't, but you stood it up, but then they weren't going to let you just go run the thing. They wanted they were you, not. They right. Were it was going to be gonna a gig. Work. It was going to be something cute that Katie does on the side. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but that was. That's that was exactly the messaging that I got. So, yeah. and luckily I'll, I'll just tell you, Tommy, like God put his people around me and people came by my side. I got to go through a local incubator for uh, nonprofits and learn about board development and everything and how to file and how to, you know, just all the business things that I needed to launch the nonprofit. And I was doing a pitch on a Friday. I had no kids, no idea how I was going to get kids or how I was going to get money. I was just moving forward in faith that if I build it, like God will figure this out. And the, the, fr the week before my pitch, I got a call from a leader in our child welfare system who said, what are you doing? Are you still around? These kids and these workers are asking for you in this program. We will pay. Will you take these kids back? Hold on. The, the original org where you were working? No, the, the system, the child welfare system. Okay. Yeah called because we were I was working with all kids in foster care so then and so does that mean the dollars were going to come through somebody was so we got a contract and some dollars came through and so I will just fast forward to you we are now six years later and that young man who sat across the table from me is still with us awesome. he's graduated high school he's completed his post-secondary he has his own apartment he's got a girlfriend and a healthy relationship he's got community he comes into our spaces he's mentoring and just just being life for our younger people and tells me that we're going to be that um, we're going to hire him one day as a coach. I love it. I <laughs> love it. I yeah. love it. That is incredibly yeah. special. And it was, was it called village before it was called found village? It was called, it was called village. And then we changed it to found village with the idea that, you know, not everybody's village is handed to them. Sometimes you have to find yours. You have to, not everyone's village is handed to you. You have to go out and find yours and you're creating and have created and are creating a supportive village, a village yeah, so that's going to feed into these kids, not not the alternative, because you're looking for something. We're all searching for something, right? And if we don't find the right thing, we're going to find the other thing, right? That, that's, that, that's exactly it. And 
So the belief system for us really is how do we help strengthen your existing community and your relationships? And then how do we help expand your community and your relationships and become the second best option for a really large connected family or a really large connected community, right? Because everybody needs to be surrounded by a multitude of people, relationships, because change happens through relationships, right? Through our connections, our healing, our healing happens through relationships, right? So just that belief of every, we have to help kids create the opportunity to have a village around them. Look, you, you, the the biggest challenge you just created for me is that Cincinnati is really far from Long Island, and I yeah. I want to come visit so badly yeah. and and be part of what you're doing, and I will. We'll make that happen. I I do have wheels and and they have planes and all types of stuff, but I I want to <clears throat> I want to thank you so much for Katie for Katie for what you've done for what you're continuing to do and. I, I got to shout out my friend Dara Rosenbaum, because if it wasn't for Dara who introduced you and Aloba and me via email, none of this happens. And you talk about it's about connections. It's about relationships. Look, it's about social capital, everybody. That's all we have. That's all we have is our people, is our community and is our village or villages. And it's critically important that we stay connected to people. Katie, I would love to find a way to get you back on here so we could talk again. I think there's an opportunity where I do a, a, a monthly roundtable for nonprofit leaders. You have such an incredible story. I think it would play so well to tell that story to some of my other executive director friends of organizations. We will talk about that offline. Shout out anybody you need to and how they find you if, if people want to. I've been sharing it on Facebook during the show, but make yeah. a quick shout out. Yeah, thank you. I just want to shout out to my uh, Cincinnati community, all of our friends, donors, just community members, our young people and our families who trust us to do this work. Like that's my biggest shout out for letting us in their lives. Tommy for this platform. Um, just grateful for this conversation this morning, you know, and my husband who couldn't be here with us, who is, you know, co-leads this organization with me. Um, it takes a village. We've got it. We've got an amazing team of people that do this work within our community. Um, and just grateful for the opportunity. Oh, any events coming up you want anybody to know about like a gala or the the thing that raises the you know, money that you know we are all about small community connect intentional events not big galas awesome um, i love it yeah. oh my god i i promise you I'm, i promise you before i'm coming out to cincinnati we got to figure out the all right tell me i'm, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna I'll come out. Yeah. I'll bring my son we'll go see a reds game i'll see if the metsies we're mets fans i'll see if the mets there's, in town. there's plenty to do and i would just say you know we are really working on how to how to create how to create change within the organizations and systems. And we're working on some large scale strategy right now about how do we better mobilize young people 18 to 25 years old um, yeah. through a community wide effort. So if anybody has insight or interest around that area, it's a big priority area and a wicked problem that not many people have solved well for foster care youth. You gotta leave it there. We got, yeah. that's, that's just an excuse. You gotta come back because that's a, that's yeah. a social change thing. We gotta talk about yeah. it. I gotta leave it there. Katie, I appreciate you. Dylan, thanks for doing the executive production thing. Thing. Joe Salomone will be here. Salomone will be here. He's the executive director of the Long Island Coalition Against Bullying. Talk community, talk village again. We'll be doing that next week. Katie, thanks again. Everybody, make it a great day. Stay tuned. Steve Fry's next, the SMB guy.
Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 